Welcome everyone to the latest episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we got a lot going on. We heard from the general manager of the Giants, Dave Gettleman, this week. We'll talk a whole bunch about that. Then we'll get into the draft. We'll get into specifically quarterback Dwayne Haskins, which is really shaping up to be quite an interesting decision for the Giants, potentially. And, uh, and just for your listening pleasure, I will touch upon, because I, I try and be as open as possible here. I will touch upon the, uh, Paul Dettino Twitter subject. At the end, so hang around. We'll get into all that, but first off, let's start with Dave Gettleman, right? The Giants' general manager. He talked this week. He explained where they're at on the Odell Beckham Jr. trade, and there was some interesting things that came out of that. Now, my main takeaway, okay, is that you have to be a little concerned. You can't, and, and it's crazy because. I wrote this the other day, and you hear people saying, you know, people coming at me and being like, no, we're full believers, everything's great, you know, he's got us right in the perfect spot in the right direction. To be fully on board, I mean, you got to be waving those pom-poms right now. This is not the personal against Dave Gettleman. I like some of the things he's done. They're in decent shape moving forward. But there's some things you hear from him as well, and that he said this week, that he said last year, that they've done over the last year, that just have to make you a little concerned and worried. Are they really going to make the right decisions moving forward? Is he going to make the right decision? Now, I know this isn't all him, but the fact that the Giants didn't do this all last year is where I start with and am concerned. Right, The whole rebuild, tear down, they don't want to call it a rebuild, whatever. The whole rebuild, tear down should have started last year. It was clear. It was clear as day for anyone that was paying attention. Now, maybe ownership wanted him to go you know, one more year with Eli. That's fine. Maybe they wanted to you know, draft Saquon and he was too good to pass up. That's fine. But the Giants should have realized they needed to start tearing it down last year for the most part. Not sign Odell Beckham Jr. and then one year later trade him because there's negatives to that. And the Giants have to pay for that now. So regardless of whether you're happy Odell left or not happy, you have to look at that decision and say, they messed it up. You don't sign a guy and then trade him one year later. Especially when you gave him a big signing bonus. (laughs) There's financial implications. There's, There's negatives to that. And it just shows that it's not good business. There's some other things that concern me, and the being so sold on Eli. I mean, everyone knows where I stand on this. Great guy, legendary Giants quarterback, amazing career with the team. Two Super Bowls. But play has dipped in recent years. It's time to move on. But not only are the Giants not moving on, and somebody said, well, what if it's not Dave Gettleman's decision, right? What if it's, what if it's ownership that's pushing? Well, I think we found out that Dave Gettleman is 10,000% on board. Because if he's getting pushed by ownership to say, okay, well, let's, we, we want to keep going with Eli that's best right now until we get another quarterback, you don't come out and say it's a this narrative that he he's overpaid and can't play is a crock. Okay? You don't need to be, if you're not fully on board with it, you don't say that. So it's clear this is where he stands on that camp. He's in that camp. Eli can still play at a high level. We'll see. 
Hasn't been the case the last few years. And I don't know how you could refute that. You could sit there and look at the stats, and some people want to say, look, he completed this many passes, did this, did this, did this, this, did that. Look at his ranks in compared to all the quarterbacks. Okay? He's not in the top half in any way, shape, or form. So that's where they are. And then his philosophy, again, on negotiating leaves you scratching your head. That really bothered me. He said... Something along the lines of, uh, I'm paraphrasing right here, because you don't want to call other teams, because that basically decreases your value and, and you know cuts you at the knees in regards to your leverage. But in regards to this Odell Beckham deal, and he only called the Buffalo Bills really afterwards, according to him, and that was almost to just chide his buddy who's the former, who, who he used to work with in Carolina, who's now the general manager there. He, when you have the, the offer in hand, okay, you like the Browns' offer. You, you insisted on on Jabril Peppers. I almost called him Julius. It's going to happen. I apologize in advance. And so you have the, the Browns' offer in hand, sitting in your hands. What's the downside of calling other teams? Seriously. Say, hey. You want to beat this? Go ahead. There's no downside. You're not decreasing your leverage because you're already going to accept this deal. So again, that makes me scratch my head. And this takes me back to last year, draft time. said, I told everyone in the room when we were on the clock at number two, don't pick up the phone. Well, what if somebody offered you four first-round picks? You're not going to pick up the phone? That's not good business. That doesn't seem like... Good negotiating to me. As a matter of fact, if anything, that would leave me concerned if I'm a Giants fan. Because I wonder, is this the guy I really want to go through with this rebuild here? Now, I know he he did pretty well in the draft, although, you know, there's still the idea that they didn't get the quarterback position and they thought they could pass on it. And we'll ultimately see whether that's right or wrong. I, but uh, the players itself, okay? The players itself that he drafted last year were positive. Seems like a pretty good haul. Kylo Letta looks like the one that, you know, we'll see. We'll see what the other guys kind of evolve into as well. But the draft, pretty well. You know, he's a long track record as a, as a in pro personnel. Did well. Now, the flip side is he's never been in charge of getting a quarterback. That's never been his responsibility and his decision. And that's ultimately going to determine whether he's a success here with the Giants. Okay? So enough on Gettleman now. That's my that's my take on that. We'll move towards that draft, towards that decision that we're talking about. Are they going to draft a quarterback this year? Now we heard Diana Rossini. She was on last week's podcast. She thought, or she heard that, eh, they didn't love him. That... You know, they're going to do their work on him, but that maybe they're going to pass on him regardless. That they, they just didn't see it. They weren't blown away with what they had seen so far. Now, he had a great pro day. He had a great pro day. We're doing taping this on, on Thursday, on Wednesday. A very impressive pro day. The Giants had all their guys out there Pat Shermer, Chris Mara, um, Chris Pettit, who's 
the director of college scouting, Mike Shula, the offensive coordinator, they're all out there. They got to spend some time with him. And from all, by all accounts, he seems to be a very impressive young man. And actually, uh, Shermer said that. He told the New York Post that. He was impressive as a person. And that's the thing. You look at Dwayne Haskins, and there's a lot to like. There's a lot to like. Right? If he's there at six and the Giants pass on him, man, that's going to be one that you're going to be scratching your head. And now you're going to be looking at it two years in a row. Sam Darnold and Dwayne Haskins, the Giants, if they pass on him. He seems to have everything. Not the most mobile guy. Maybe that's the one that will knock on him. Actually, we're going to get more into Dwayne Haskins. We're going to learn all about his pro day. All about him as a person in a, in two minutes here. But first let's go over some of the scenarios of what might happen in this draft. It sounds like Kyler Murray is going to go one. That leaves open the window. Where does Dwayne Haskins go? What's next? Some teams might be up and down on him. Who's Who would move up for him is the question right now. And I'm having trouble finding that team. The Dolphins seem content where they are. They they don't seem content. They don't seem overly insistent on needing their quarterback this year. They 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 seem to be willing to wait. The Jaguars just invested a lot of money in Nick Foles. I mean, those were the two teams you look at the most. The Redskins. I don't think they're looking. Okay, we're going to trade up to number two, number three. I don't see that being their move right now. Not with the situation that they're in. So, there's a chance, there's a decent chance that Dwayne Haskins is sitting there at number six for the Giants. And it would be fascinating, fascinating, if they passed on him. And right now, I'm probably leaning towards, yeah, that that has a good chance of happening. Right? Really did. Really does. So, with that being said, let's see... And learn more about Dwayne Haskins, his pro day, and everything that comes in this package that could be there for the Giants at number six. On to the next one. Let's welcome somebody to the show. The man who choreographed and handled Dwayne Haskins' pro day. He's a expert quarterback coach i added the expert part as, as part of his title quincy avery quincy man how, how you doing we appreciate we appreciate you coming on what's going on i appreciate you having me yeah definitely we want to know you know everybody wants to know like well, what first of all what how did you put together that you, you put together the script right you put it together with with uh Dwayne, and you right. go into that pro day what are you looking to do what are you looking to show? What are you what are you looking to prove by, you know, what he exactly drills and throws he's making and doing? So what kind of went into making the pro day was um, I reached out to a few different guys that I trust, the quarterback coaches, offensive coordinators, other front office exec, and I just asked them, like, what, what do you want to see? What, what would you want to see Dwayne Hatchins do um, that you might have some questions about during the season? Um, and, and some of them said, like, we want to see some movement stuff. But really the thing was they wanted to see his short area quickness, his ability to make people miss, um, get back on platform, and then make those throws. So that was 
really the focus of, of our session. Like when when we started, that was, that's what we wanted to get done. We wanted to show people he had the ability to do that. I mean, that's a lot of things that we worked on during the um, really the training portion from January throughout March. That was that was our thing. We're going to be super dialed in on that, and I think he did a great job of it. What what is it about the the movement, the off platform stuff that? I mean, I I watched a whole bunch of games, and I didn't walk away from there saying, "Oh, he he's stuck in the pocket. You know, he he can't move." I, I that was never an impression I got. Why do you why do you think that exists? Uh, I think I think there's a couple moments early in the season where Dwayne would move off a spot and then not completely get set back to where he he needed to to throw the football, and it wasn't so much that he didn't have the ability. I think. When you haven't played in games of that magnitude, you haven't played in college at that level, right? You might not necessarily value each snap the same way you would have before, or the way that you need to at the college level. Um, and he just had to understand that. And and I think they might have took something away early in the season, but as the the season progressed, he really started to understand that. And I think he did a much better job throughout the end of the season of doing that. But we just wanted to show um, that it wasn't a fluke; it's something that he can do, and he's going to do. And what was your takeaway from the com, uh, from the pro day? Like, how did, how did you think day. he did compared to what you saw every day of practice that you were trying to work on? I think I think he did excellent. I mean, I've, I've because seen you know he sat like there. That. I'm sorry, you know he sat there and said, "Well, I missed those two throws," and that's that's sort of what he said yeah. afterwards. That that's kind of what sticks in his brain. That's funny. We threw almost we well, we were scheduled to throw sixty pairs got a little nicked up, so I'm not exactly sure what number we got. But it was right around sixty throws, maybe a little more, a little less, but to miss two throws in a workout of that magnitude, probably one of the more challenging pro day workouts that you'll see from anybody um put on this 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 draft class. Like he he did some difficult stuff and for somebody who's projected to go top ten to say, Okay, I wanna get challenged, I wanna show everybody just how good I am there's a lot of people who played it safe throughout a pro day, like who decided, you know, I'm, I would rather just not miss. And, and Dwayne took the challenge on, and I thought he crushed it. He thought he missed two throws. I would <laughs> almost debate on him. I might say he missed one, but um, we, I really felt good about it. it, it he, he's talked about it before, but how he was disappointed with the 40 times. So you've been around him. As, <laughs> how much did that eat at him that he didn't? He didn't get the chance to do that. It feels like it feels like he wanted to, but it just you know really what's the purpose, right? I mean, the quarterback leaving right. a forty time, but right. He's he, 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 yeah, he was definitely frustrated, right? Because he's done things and ran it faster than that electronically. Um, but then we got to pro day, and I really didn't think it was a good idea. I didn't see the value add. We know that Dwayne is fast enough to extend plays with his feet. You saw that he had the short area of quickness uh, when we got. Um, in situations you saw it during pro day and making people miss and move. So you saw all those different things and components. He doesn't need to run again. Um, but but I'll tell you what, on the field, Dwayne's a lot faster than the time that, that came out on at the combine. Yeah, it, it seems like, first of all, I mean, we know it's not mandatory that a quarterback runs a lot. They really just need to right. na- navigate <laughs> the pocket, right? You need to be able to slide. Exactly. You need to be able to move. It's not important if he's able to run for 30-yard chunks. Yeah, if he's got to run for thirty-yard chunks, then we're doing something wrong. Right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Your team's in trouble if you if you need that on a regular basis for sure. So, we we get uh you know you get a few minutes we the media and you talk to Dwayne here and there and we get an idea of what he's like as a person, right? But 
you get to spend. I mean, you're working with them now for months. You're spending a lot of time with them. What have you What have you learned about him? What, what have you learned about him and his personality and just the way he handles everything? You know what's interesting is as I've known Dwayne since he's in eleventh grade, so I've got to see him kind of mature each and every year and just see like what kind of young man he's become from his leadership um, to the way that people gravitate to him, how funny he is, to just how people like being around him um, and enjoy him as a person. That's that's a big thing. Some of these when they get him as a quarterback, they're not just getting somebody who's who can throw the heck of the ball. You're getting a guy that guys in the locker locker room gravitate towards. Everybody wants to, be, to have conversations with. He's a guy who other people come to for advice. So he's all those different things. He might not be a rah rah guy, but he's a leader in every other aspect. What do you think about? I mean, I'm, uh, I specifically cover the Giants, right? That's a team that mm-hmm. needs a quarterback at number six. They desperately need a quarterback of the future. There's a good chance that Dwayne is available somewhere around that range, right? What do you, What do you think about mm-hmm. that? You've seen You've seen him work. You know the skill set he brings. How do you think that would sort of fit into what the Giants do? I think Pat Shermer runs a, a lot of uh, you know mid level crossing routes and uh, RPOs and stuff where he he likes to roll his quarterback and keep his quarterback on the move. So how do you, How do you think Dwayne would be a fit in that? I think Dwayne would be an excellent fit there. A lot of the crossing routes, the in, the, the shallow, the, the shorter in routes, the digs, those are all things that we want to display at the pro day because we we see what what teams are running around the NFL. We want to let people know that he has the ability to do those things. RPL is, is a world that he lived in at Ohio State, so he had to do a bunch of that. Like all the things that they would want somebody to do um, in New York with the Giants, Dwayne is is more than capable. Of doing those things, he's not only capable; he'd really, really thrive. He's such an accurate passer, um, and he accurate passer is one thing, but his ability to process information at a very fast pace and high rate of speed is next level. Like the things that he sees um, at his age, his ability to, to make protection calls, all those different things that he's going to be asked to do. I think that he would kill it. And then, and then not only that, if he got the opportunity to go to the Giants, he would at least be around someone like Eli Manning for a year. So he'd get to see all the disciplines of somebody getting there early, staying late. All those things I think would be phenomenal for him. Um, and it would be a tremendous start to his career. For sure. I spoke to a coach once who worked with Eli, and he said he's been around a lot of players, Pro Bowl quarterbacks, all pro quarterbacks, and he's never been around somebody who's as prepared for a game day as Eli Manning. So to be able to at least collect some of that knowledge is a benefit pretty much for any quarterback who who is able to go in there and do that. Even if it's just watching the way he works and prepares for games, it definitely could have its benefits. Now, when you talk about you know you, you, some of the things and how he would fit in that Giants offense. So did you I mean you guys know which teams are kind of out there looking for quarterbacks, right? So do you go into there? Yeah. Do you do you go into the pro day? And specifically tailor it towards maybe some of the things you, the Giants are one of those teams that's right there in the mix that maybe that they're looking for. Is is, is that fair to say that you guys did that? You you could say it, but but so many NFL teams run similar style offenses. The right. route the routes that come up are, are really similar. So with one man routes, we pretty much got to almost everything that you see in an NFL game. The difference in, in the different teams is, is going to be how you read those things and the combinations of the routes with those. Right. Um, but but we tried to survey the landscape of the NFL and, and make sure that we had 
all the things that they would want to see. Um, but, yeah, we want to check the boxes for the different teams and make sure we see something that comes up for a lot of guys who, who may need a quarterback that they get to see it. You you do work with Deshaun Watson. You have you have worked with Deshaun in the past. Uh do they, how do they compare? I mean, what's it like working with, with Dwayne and what's it sort of compared to what it's like working with Deshaun? They're, they're different in why they're successful. And actually, the last couple of weeks, Deshaun and Dwayne spent a lot of time out there because Deshaun comes out to L.A. to train because he goes out there. Um, so they're on the field a bunch together. It's just it's a different type of quarterback. Uh, but But – like just a pure passer, Dwayne is just phenomenal, and a lot of the leadership components. I think that he gets to see Deshaun do, and he's like, "Oh, I'll take some of that. I'll take some of those things." Um, so they're both, you know, as you as you know, they're both phenomenal players. But um, just control the ball, precision passing. Dwayne has, um, I mean, his ability is next level. So he, you, you can compare. I mean, well, well, fair to say, Deshaun is the better athlete, correct? You could you could say that. Or at I least think, the faster I of the two. Yeah, we would say that. <laughs> yeah, we, would, we could say that. Who has the bigger arm? Uh, they think, both they both seem to have pretty big arms. Yeah, they both have. They both arms are both really really live. Like you, you'd see probably combine. I think Deshaun might have thrown it a, a little harder at the combine, but Dwayne's more of a, a really a finesse passer with the capability of a big arm. Like. He he really only throws it hard when he needs to, but when he needs to, it'll jump out of his hand. I think you you got to see that yesterday. He threw a couple couple of dig routes, and you're like, whoa, um, or the big post. He, he did all those things, and you're like, all right, we know what we're getting here. Right. right. You know, a lot of coaches say they go to these pro days and stuff. that They, they don't really take that much from them because like, it's kind of a, a, a staged event, right, and they're, and they're out there. And they're working with receivers they're familiar with, and everything's like scripted and set up. But they want to hear that whiz on the ball, right? They they want to be able to hear that that zip that a quarterback puts on the ball and, and just hear it with their own ears. And you know what? You there was times that you could almost hear that even on TV with Dwayne yesterday. I mean, there was a couple throws you're like, whoa, you know, that one had some juice on it. You you could you could hear it. So I think uh, that that's something Pat Shermer's talked about before. So I'm sure he. He walked away and said he could hear that zip on the ball with, with Dwayne. I don't think that's a For question sure. at all. You know, <laughs> so, yeah, you, you don't walk away. You don't walk away with any concerns on that, right? So, I want to know a little about you, right? I mean, Quincy's a fascinating story. I mean, I, I was reading <laughs> you were living out of your car, basically. Is this true? And like, oh man, it's trying two to make is, is that true? Yeah, so you want me to dig into the story a little bit? I'll try and give you a shorter version. Yeah, give me the short version because here's what I heard. You were going, you got uh-huh. offered to help out with some quarterbacks, you go to places, some camps, some Elite 11 stuff. You didn't have money to stay anywhere, but you wanted to get the experience as a quarterback coach, so you're staying in your car at the time when you're going to do these things. Basically, on the cuff, right? Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I, when I first got out of college, I didn't have a coaching position, so I drove to UCLA, and I sat on the couch, and Rick Neuheisel told me no a few times and finally told me he'd let me volunteer <laughs> at UCLA. So I volunteered for free there for a year, didn't get paid, was working those 4 a.m. to 11 p.m. shifts that coaches work, um, and, and I had to live on the floor in the locker room. So I did that for two years, decided that I wanted to start privately training, moved to Atlanta, did not have a place to live, so I lived out of my car. Um uh, 
and just reached out to a bunch of kids on Facebook to start training them. One of the first guys I got was Josh Dobbs, Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback. Worked with him for a while. Career kind of started growing, but it wasn't. It was it was slow. Trent Dilfer gave me a call and said, "I need you to come to Columbus, Ohio, to a big quarterback uh, camp." Didn't have any money. Had to had to sleep in the car before before the event. Um, and that was kind of my start on Elite 11. And then Trent has probably been my biggest mentor in the, the quarterback training space. And my career's kind of grown and taken off from there. I mean, certainly. I mean, tell some of the guys you work with. Name, name, I mean, you just said Josh Dobbs, Deshaun Watson. Josh Dobbs, Deshaun Watson. I've worked with Tyrod Taylor. Uh, man, I, I got probably 40 guys in college. Dwayne Haskins since 11th grade. I got How'd you get hooked up I with Dwayne? Dwayne met me at one of those Elite 11 camps when he was in uh, 10th grade, actually. Um, but he didn't start working with me until 11th. But he, he met me there. Um, he liked the information. I, I got him. And then he, he started making his way out to Atlanta to train as much as he could. This, I mean, is, is it – this is such a big industry now, right, the, the quarterback coaches. Is it even possible – I mean, I guess it's possible. I shouldn't say it's not it, – It's not. I shouldn't say it's impossible. But how? it seems like in order to compete – at the top level of quarterbacking, you need to have a quarterback coach at a fairly young age. You know, I mean, by young age, I, think, I mean teenage, teenage age, somewhere around there. I mean, is that kind of what the game has evolved into? Man, it's, it's so highly specialized, and the, the information that gap that, that happens if you don't have a coach that's pretty good, um, it'll leave you pretty far behind if you don't have somebody – at an early age, you can give you the information, especially let's say you're like an athletic quarterback um, and you don't have some of the skills or some of the things that somebody might want you to know. They'll just quickly move you to a different position. So, um, yeah, getting getting somebody with a quarterback coach at a young age is, is more than important. Uh, if, if that's what your hope for, your hope for them is to be a, a solid quarterback and be successful. Wow. I mean, it's just a whole new world now out there. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. Now, I know some coaches like – Ben McAdoo is with the Giants. He liked to call himself like the foot doctor, right? Like he he loved working with make sure quarterbacks feet. It was like one of the first things he did with Eli Manning. Uh, you know, the, Tom House is out there. He works on like throwing mechanics, right? Do you have? Do you consider mm-hmm. yourself of having a, a sort of specialty? Like a, a, I I like like you like that when you get a quarterback, you like to concentrate. Like the first thing you do, what do you look for? Like where do you start concentration? Man, we. Well, same same idea as Mackie. We want to get their base and their balance together, so no matter what they're doing, that they're efficient there. Um, and then, and then I, I employ like a rotational expert. So the things that Tom House does, we have a guy in house who can do some of that. But we want to make sure that their feet are in tune with their body, and that that whatever position we put them in, they're they're going to be successful in getting back to a position where they can throw the ball consistently and successfully. And um, that's the main thing: making sure something's consistent no matter what's going on. Uh, making sure that base is, is always in the correct space. And when you get that, if somebody's a talented thrower, then you don't have to fix much. And how's Dwayne's base? Dwayne's base, uh, it's, it's phenomenal right now. So we're, we're in a really good space. <laughs> good enough where he's going to be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. I can say that. I can say that. Pretty confidently at this point. So you guys, you guys are doing something right for sure. I mean, what do you have? 50, 50 touchdowns and seven interceptions or something? That's... He had a solid year. <laughs> he had a solid year. Uh, you got high standards though. If your next guy is going to top 50 and seven, I want to see it. All right. 
I got some good guys coming up. You'll see them pretty quick. All right. You make sure to point out who's going to top 50 and 7 because I'm going to be watching, all right? <laughs> yeah, sounds good. I love your story, man, Quincy. A story of perseverance, man. And now he's out there. Thank you. You know, quarterback and coach of some of the top guys that are out there basically anywhere. I mean, Deshaun Watson, a rising star in the league, and soon to be next in line, uh, Dwayne Haskins. So, Quincy, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate you having me. You got it, man. On to the next one. It's time to move on to your favorite part of this podcast. It's the segment we call Giants After Dark, where I answer all your deepest darkest, most thoughtful Giants questions. And with that, we're going to start. We're working on Instagram again because you guys, probably not most of you guys listening, but, I mean, my Twitter mentions these days are, I mean, I can't even, I can't even go there. I can't even swim in those waters. It's such a disaster that I got, I got to get away from that cesspool of Twitter mentions. So, I mean, I mean, the same five people sit there and write ridiculous things nonstop. It's crazy. So, we're working on Instagram. DM, appreciate everybody for reaching out. We're going to start with the first question comes from Derek N. He says, if Gettleman drafts Haskins or trades for Rosen, do you think most of the not having a plan narrative goes away? I feel if he waits until 17 or later for Locker Jones, Drew Locker or Daniel Jones, he'll continue to be crushed. Thanks, man. I really enjoy your coverage. Uh, I don't think even if at this point he does draft him at six, I don't think that narrative completely goes away because last year it was clear that they tried to compete, right? And then they scrapped it and they signed Odell and then one year traded him. So clearly there was a change of plan and something what was off in the in the last twelve months? There's something happened here in the last twelve months. The plan changed. All right, they kind of shifted gears in the middle of the season too. There's, oh, now we're going to basically we we didn't realize we realized how bad the roster is. They didn't realize how bad the roster is because they wouldn't have traded for Alec Ogletree. They wouldn't have drafted a running back number two overall. You you wouldn't have uh, signed. Um, I don't think everyone even remembers William Gay who they basically almost dumped a million dollars into, who was but 35 years old, Jonathan Stewart. And I know they wanted to fix the culture and the locker room, but these were moves for a team that was trying to at least compete on the fly. Okay? So even if they draft a quarterback, I think that still stands a little bit. I mean, they just signed. I mean, look at the guys they just signed. They just signed Golden Tate. They traded for Kevin Zeitler, who's going to be 30 years old and is getting paid $10 million a year. So I think people are still going to question the plan, even if they do draft Dwayne Haskins or, or take a quarterback early. But that's just my opinion. I mean, who knows? Chasing powder, by the way, uh, pretty, I don't know, head-scratching uh Name I I know it can have a snow reference, but it could also have uh, a snow or skiing reference, but it also could come off the wrong way. But Chasing Powder says either the Cardinals draft Murray, in which case they would be motivated to trade Rosen, or Cardinals don't draft Murray, and Murray is available in the draft. Is there any scenario the Giants draft Murray? Same question for Rosen, which he means trade. Any rumblings about Rosen being legitimately shopped? No, not really yet on Rosen, but everyone seems... Pretty, everyone seems pretty convinced that Murray is going to go first overall. Now, the interesting part would be if they do not 
go with Murray. Would the Giants, if they're sitting there at six, be able to actually pass on Kyler Murray? I just have a hard time seeing them drafting him. Like the smaller quarterback, more, you know, he, he does a lot of running. He's sort of like a new age kind of guy. Can, are the Giants really going to commit long term to that? It seems questionable to me. My gut tells me no. But at the same time as I can't imagine, I don't think any team should be passing on Dwayne Has I mean on Kyler Murray at this point that desperately needs a quarterback. So I'm kind of torn on that one, but I, I you know what? I, I I think they probably would. I know it's it's hard to even believe, but I mean that's what my gut tells me right now. I don't know that for a fact, but that's what my gut tells me. Uh TT T Tam Nanag asked, Hey Jordan. Would definitely like to hear about your relationship with Paul. Got blocked by on him on Twitter the other day. Obviously, that's Paul Dettino. Uh Just hang in there. I promise I'm going to address it. We'll we'll get to that in the last segment. Just hang in a couple more minutes, okay? Just just a few more minutes, and I'll, I'll give you uh, my opinion on that and and sort of you know where I, I went wrong and that the rest rest of that. So, all right, Rosendo Tapia asks. Don't you think it's good value getting two first-rounders and a third for a player that is starting to be injury-prone? OBJ the past two years hasn't been staying healthy. Uh, okay. Yes, if it's two first-round picks and one of them is in the top ten, I probably agree with you. But you're saying two first-round picks. Well, let's say this. One is the, the first is the 17th pick in the draft, right? The Browns pick. Yes, that's a first-round pick. The other part is the Giants are considering Jabril Peppers a first-round pick. I'm pretty sure if Jabril Peppers was put on the trade market, he wouldn't bring back first-round pick value. He's already exhausted two years that comes with the luxury of playing on your rookie deal. So let's start there with regard to him being a first-round pick. Second Second of all, he hasn't played great. He's been up and down. He had a he had a rough first year. Go ask people in Cleveland. Now he showed improvement this past year, but he's in no way, shape, or form uh, a lock quality first round pick guy right now. He's still trying to make his way in the league, and there's still questions about him. I think what some somebody around the league, a pro personnel scout, told me the other day was uh, he was a functional replacement for Landon Collins. I mean, so he's not like a slam dunk around the league of, oh, this guy's an absolute stud first round pick. Still, he's a, he's going to be a, a five time pro bowler. I don't think we're at that point yet. He's still got a lot to prove. Now he may be. And that's what this trade is basically based on the evaluation that the Giants have on Jabril Peppers of him being a stud. All right. We'll see. And as far as Odell being injury prone, eh, I could see that a little bit, but the, the major, time he missed which was 2017 there's not really much you could do about that his leg was shattered when he got put in a tough spot trying to catch a pass so I'm not fully willing to go there I get he's had injury problems but he also still you also have to understand Golden Tate doesn't have injury problems his durability has been unbelievable but he's played I think three or four more years than Odell and still scored less touchdowns Okay, so that's how good a player he is when he's on, when he's able to go on the field. So even if it's less, he, he, he's able to produce more points 
in those fewer games. Still, that's how good he is. Next question. Uh, this is question number five. We got JM Shub 21 With the draft so deep on defense, do you think Giants keep their first three picks to load up on defense? I think there is a strong possibility. I would lean towards the Giants using their picks early in this draft to go strong on defense. My my the favorite right now at pick number six would be a defensive guy. Right? For me. That's the way I view it. Uh seventeen and then second round, I'd say one of those two also. Probably defense. Maybe they sneak in an offensive lineman somewhere or another position that they really like. But yes, I do think that we are going to see a very defense-heavy draft from the Giants. And if you told me all three were on defense, I could believe it. First three picks, all defense. Sure. Now, the one thing I will say, and i got to look up the exact numbers, but you have to understand, especially with edge rushers and, and guys that pressure the quarterback, to come and expect them to jump into the starting lineup and be a, a double-digit sack kind of guy, it's kind of unrealistic. That's one position that it does take guys, usually, unless they're just off-the-charts studs, usually takes guys at that position some time to get acclimated to the NFL game and really until they become dominant pass rushers. So, all right, last question. Warren OS says, I don't know if I'm pronouncing these names wrong, and if I am, I'm sorry in, in advance, okay? Last question. In general, what is the relationship between beat writers working for competing outlets? Are you respectful and admiring of other people's work or cutthroat to get the question and story first? Any good stories? Uh, well, I will say this. As beat writers, we, first of all, we're not colleagues. All right. I had this conversation with people from the Giants once. These people are not my colleagues, most of them, right? I work for ESPN. My employer doesn't care, you know, what you give to some other beat reporter for another organization. So that's one thing. But we do spend a lot of time together. We're in the same room together during the season. On the road, we travel most of the time. We go out to dinner, a whole bunch of us. There's clicks and different people are friendly with other people. And it's competitive and at times it gets snippy and snipey. But for the most part, the Giants room, you know, we're respectable, respectful of each other. I shouldn't say respectable. I meant respectful of each other and everybody gets along. Uh some people like each other more than others. Some people like e like each other less than others. Some people don't like each other really at all, you know. But we coexist in the same orbit. Uh, and there's been fights and beat writers in, in the past. Not so much in that Giants room of really getting into real fights, but uh, in other rooms you, you hear about it around in other sports and in football and other sports or the other teams, whatever. But that's just. Sort of the way it goes, and that's part of the business. But look, my business is like a separate entity. I view it from everybody else, right? My boss, my direct editor, doesn't care about what Joe Schmo from Publication X is doing. They only care what I produce and what I give to them, and that's what I'm based off of. You know, that's how they base my work. So I try and really not worry about what anyone else is doing. I probably read less more of what everyone else is writing now than I ever have and try to concentrate on myself and know that know that I'm trying to do the best job that I can because that's my business. That's what's going to keep me employed. That's what keep my family, you know, uh, healthy financially. 
So that's my concentration. And with that, that's the end of this Giants After Dark. A good one. Thanks for all the questions. On to the next one. Let's do a little Jordan on the beat, okay? So, and if you've been following me or even listening to some of the radio shows around town, you probably heard about my comments towards Paul DeTino at Giants WFAN, right? Okay, let me say this. I shouldn't have said anything. That I'm better than that. I, I should know... I should just let it roll off my chest. I've done it enough times over the years. 99 out of 100 times. 95, let's say, out of 100 times. I let the stuff that people say roll off my chest. And I don't take it personally. And you can go look back when Eric Flowers pushed me. I didn't say a word. I didn't say anything publicly. I just laid low and and kind of didn't, didn't feel the need to go out to people that were saying stuff about me. And uh, that's sort of what this stems back to, you know, is that there were people saying stuff at that time and blaming me and saying I, I did this and I did that. And that's fine. You know, I did I kept my mouth shut, brushed it off, which I should have done here as well. But I guess I got fed up. And look, I meant everything I, I tweeted and I wrote. But I also should know better at this point in my career that these things are going to happen and I just need to be able to ignore them. And for the most part, I've actually made a pledge to myself. I'm going to, I'm trying to not even look at my notifications really, unless uh, you could switch it over to verified people, no, unless they're verified or like, then they're usually people that I'm friendly with or, or uh, follow and for specific reasons for, for news purposes. So I'm trying to not even look at them at all anymore. So if you're trying to reach out to me, and have me answer your questions and on the mentions. I'm probably going to miss it these days because there's just too much garbage that's written in there that it's just not worth it. So, uh, in regards to this, you know, I got fed up. It had nothing to do really with some people think of, 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 you know, the whole who was right about the, the league year day. It's just a culmination of things and, uh, you kind of get tired of, of people going out there and kind of uh, trolling and poo-pooing your stuff. And uh, especially when it's somebody who's supposed to be in the business and works for the organization. So, uh, but still, the lessons will be learned here. And if you're ever in my spot and you're out there, same thing. Even when you're young, even when you're in college, you gotta, you should, you should be careful. This should be a lesson. And I learn, I, I, you know, I live and learn. I make mistakes. So I, I'm doing that here. But even when you're you're young and you're in college, don't go out there and say things on Twitter or Instagram or whatever that you might regret, right? That somebody might hold against you later on. Now, I, you know, I'm talking about way beyond things that I wrote, right? You can't go out there and start cursing and using inappropriate words and slurs and, and that kind of stuff because it'll eventually come back to bite you. So, lesson, lesson, obviously, I'm not talking about that in regards to me, but I'm just saying in general. And I, I tell people this all the time, and that's why I should know better in situations like this than to even respond to stuff that's out there that I think is totally off base and, uh, really, uh, it's really petty stuff, to be honest with you. So, my bad. I apologize to myself. Anyone who was ex- expecting me to uh, be better, because I, I should be in this case. 
not that I didn't mean what I said. I mean, the guy runs out and sprints out to practice, but hey, again, I should be, I should be better than even saying that right there. So with that, that's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronner. Remember, you can reach out to me uh, on all platforms, even though Twitter, I probably won't re- be able to read it these days. So Instagram, email, Facebook, these are all better uh, ideas at this point. And uh, next week, we will be at the NFL meeting. So that means the owners will be there. That means John Mara. Steve Tisch, the Giants general manager, will be there as well, usually goes. So I think Dave Gettleman will be there, and so will Pat Shermer. So that's uh, it should be a big week out from Arizona. So I'll try and maybe tape something from out there, and we'll uh, have another good episode for you next week. And with that, that's the end of this week's Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time.